Okay, we're going to read our passage this evening, which is in Luke chapter 9. And we're going to be starting at verse 23. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. We're going to jump down now to verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Well, folks, for the the next four weeks, um, we have the same sermon in the morning and the evening. We're looking at this big gospel, and here's John's cube, and I thought, to, to mix things up a bit, we'd play a game of pass the parcel, and when the cube stops, um, you can explain the gospel um, from the cube. Um, so that would be quite fun, only joking. <laughs> we'll just do it with the formation school students. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this, is a, this cube explains how the various relationships that we have are broken. So Genesis 3 describes, doesn't it, how um, human beings rebelled against God and their relationship to creation was broken. Thorns and thistles grew up. Their relationship to themselves was broken. Adam was hiding and realized he was naked and ashamed and guilt-ridden and uncomfortable in his own skin. His relationship with God was ruined, was broken, And his relationship with Eve, remember he said, it's the woman that you made, it's her fault, she made me do it. An illustration of of how those relationships are broken. And the gospel says, the gospel is really the declaration that Jesus is the true Lord who has come to restore all those relationships. So when Peter said, just before the passage we just read, you are the Christ, He was saying, you're the one, you're the Messiah who's come to bring kingdom healing to all these relationships. So Luke chapter 9 is is a massive chapter, and so we haven't read the whole chapter. That would take about 10 minutes, 62 verses. So we're going to look at three sections, and we're going to see how being a disciple means 
that we need to set a new priority, that we need to have a new identity, and that we need to live a new mercy. So if you'd look in your Bibles at the end of the passage that we just read, we're going to dive into verses 57 to 62. The, from um, Luke 9 onwards, there's a pivot. So Luke 1 to 8 has all been about who is Jesus. And then from 9 to 18, it's all about what does it mean to follow Jesus. And so you'll notice that the word follow comes up many, many times in Luke. In fact, it comes up 90 times in the New Testament. So being a disciple is following. And Luke is very, very clever. He actually has Jesus on a journey. In Luke, with this pivot, when uh, Peter recognizes, you're the Christ, uh, we have all this teaching about discipleship which follows it, and they're on a journey. They're going to Jerusalem. And so here we read in verse 57, uh, while they were on the journey, or while they were on the road, uh, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And that's a very good thing to say. But it seems like Jesus identifies a wrong heart attitude um, behind that right thing. He says, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It seems a quite a gnarly sort of reply. But Jesus is saying, look, I save not through winning, but through losing, in a sense. I save through being condemned and arrested and dying. I am the kind of savior who saves through breaking my heart. And I see you have a home and you have possessions and you have a nice standard of living. Are you prepared to put me above that? And these uh, sayings that Jesus uh, comes up with here in response to these three people are called the hard sayings of Jesus by Bible commentators. And it does seem harsh, but not as harsh as what he says to the next man, because there's another man here. And um, in verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That seems very, very harsh. There's, there's nothing wrong with doing a family funeral. I've done a few. I've, I've conducted the funerals of both my grandmothers. Um, I've spoken at my first cousin, my sister's funeral, and doubtless will be my own father soon. But Jesus, Jesus says that there's a wrong heart attitude even behind this man's statement, I will follow you, but first let me go and bury my father. Because, because he says the word first... So, in fact, the next two people say, um, I will follow you, but first I need to do this. And this is, the, this is the point. Jesus is saying, no, I must come first. And, and this is the point. A disciple is someone who puts Jesus first. First Jesus, not first something and then Jesus. Jesus is saying, I must be your priority. If you're going to follow me, that means I'm your priority over money over family, over career, over your dad. And he says it in a very vivid way. Let the dead bury their own dead. We'll come back to that in a minute. 
Let's move on to the next man. Still another, verse 61 said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. But Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service or is a useful instrument in the kingdom of God. When plowing, you really need to watch what you're doing. If you're plowing a furrow, if you look back or look up or look away, the furrow's gonna be all kind of skew-if. I was saying uh, this morning that it's similar in the snooker. A a snooker player has to focus on the balls. I'm I'm loving the the world championship and I'm supporting Ronnie this this weekend. But you can't, no one who picks up a cue and looks away and isn't focused on the balls is, is fit to play in the crucible in Sheffield. And Jesus is saying, unless your first focus, your, your primary focus is Jesus Christ, the healing of the kingdom will not flow through you to others. Unless your relationship with Jesus is your highest focus, the healing power of the kingdom will not flow through you to others. No one who looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. But of all these sayings, I find the saying, let the dead bury their own dead, to be the most gnarly of all. What does this mean? Let the dead bury their own dead. Well, of course, the first dead can't be physically dead. The New Testament teaches that it is possible to be as blind and as deaf and as insensitive to spiritual things as a corpse is to physical things. And that's a frightening thing to say. It makes me shudder because so many people I know are dead. Ephesians 2 says dead in trespasses and sins. But what Jesus is saying here is that when you say something else comes first in your life, it means there's a certain amount of deadness is at work in you. For example, if you say, yeah, I understand Christianity, I've read the Bible, I I believe it, but you're not prepared to put Jesus first in your life at the moment, Jesus would say to you, actually, no, you, you don't understand it. You don't get it. There's deadness in you. If you're dead, says Jesus, you'll put your family before me. You'll put your possessions before me sounds very harsh and some of the things Jesus said were using hyperbole using exaggeration so that they would be remembered and passed down and written in the Bible and here we have it but the point is Jesus saying you must put me first or or you don't get it Jesus isn't against you having things he's he's just against things having you He says he must be Lord. If you say to me, come in, Chris, but stay out, Webb, that doesn't make sense. And if you say, Jesus, I want you to save me from my sins, deliver me, but I can't put you first yet, it's just as incongruous. If you intellectually assent to Christianity, but he's not the highest priority in your life, Jesus would say, you think you understand but actually you don't, you need to wake yourself up. When I became a Christian at Leicester University, um, someone gave me a bookmark, I've still got it somewhere, and on the bookmark it says, how, 
how to put Jesus first in your life. And these can be taken a little legalistically, but they can be helpful. And on the bookmark, it says, is, is he first place in your heart? Does he have that first place in your heart? Does he have the first day of, of your week? Do you want to meet with God's people each Sunday? Does he have the first moments of your day? So when you wake up, are you thinking, yeah, I need to spend time with God today? Does he have the first consideration in every decision that you make? Before you make a, a major decision, do you take it to God? Does he have the first portion of your pound? Are you giving to the kingdom work of the gospel? You might sing for the cause of Christ, but actually you're withholding uh, from the kingdom work. Being a follower means setting a new priority, and that priority is your relationship. So this is, this is the first thing that is fixed. Our relationship with God is broken. It is fixed through Jesus and through the process of discipleship, we actually prioritize Jesus in our lives. The next, uh, the next passage I'd like to look at is earlier on, uh, and it's from verses 24 to 26. And the second thing about being a disciple is that we find a new identity. So another relationship that is broken is actually with ourselves, we're uncomfortable in our own skin. We have this imposter syndrome. Adam was feeling naked, and so he hid. And uh, Jesus has actually come to deal with this broken relationship with self that we have. Let me uh, explain this by looking at verse 24 here. So Jesus says this, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Now, in Greek, there are lots of words for life. What's the word for life in John's gospel? Anyone know? Zoe, very good. Must have been to formation school, that person. Zoe, yes, it's the most, most written word in John's gospel. And it really refers to eternal life. Another word uh, the Greeks have is bios, which just means I'm living. I'm living, breathing, biological being. But the word here is psyche, from which we get the word psychological. And it refers to the inner life. And so Jesus is saying here, your old way of having a sense of self has to be over. You may have got your sense of self from the approval of others. You may have got your sense of self from success and status or possessions or something else, but you have to die to that now. As a disciple, you need a reconstructed identity. How can, how can this happen? How can we have this reconstructed identity through a process of discipleship? Well, the the Eastern way of, of saying that, uh, of, of gaining a sense of self, is that you lose all sense of self. So in Eastern religions, the way to peace is to lose yourself in the all. To, to actually say, my desires don't matter, my personality doesn't matter, the universe matters. And I 
I give myself to the great all. Well, Jesus isn't saying that. He's not going the Eastern way. The Western way says to find yourself, you need to locate your deepest desires and you need to fulfill them. In the words of wet, 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 my mind's made up by the way that I feel. I need to experience things and I locate my sense of self through my experience. The Western obsession is finding yourself. When I was 19, after my A-levels, I went to work at Butlin's holiday camp in Minehead for a summer. And uh, I tried everything there to find myself, to find meaning, to find myself. But Jesus' words here are, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, but lose or forfeit their very selves? Jesus is saying, I want you to know that even if you gain the whole world, it won't give you this sense of self. It won't bring you healing with yourself. Rather than do it by yourself and try and climb the greasy pole by your own schemes, give yourself to me and I will raise you up. Follow me. You need to give yourself to me, says Jesus, and in that you may well experience some losses, including being accepted by the world. But in that way, you'll save it. Your humanity will be restored and healed through this journey, through this process of discipleship. See, we're put, right with, we're put right with God the moment we believe. That's called justification. But we're put right with ourselves through this process of healing, of discipleship. The journey it could involve doing one of the courses that is in the pamphlet that was given out to you that um, Gerhild will talk about later in this service. At the moment, there's a course called Kintsugi Hope that's uh, running on Tuesday mornings. There are 26 people doing that. And a lot of the course is, is all about finding healing through following Jesus uh, for yourself. Paul in the New Testament, he, in the, in the letters that he writes, he t talks about finding a new identity when he uses the words in Christ. To be, to be in Christ means that your approval is coming from him uh, instead of from the world. And that's, that's a big shift. A disciple is a person whose heart has been melted by the cross and who therefore takes up the cross daily, which can mean a denial of the old ways of finding approval through the world. And in, in fact, you know, these verses imply, don't they, that a disciple might often attract the scorn of the world. I don't know if you guys have experienced that. Uh, the, the ostracism that can happen when you own Jesus Christ at work, at play, if you play for a sporting team, even at home. But with this new identity that you have as a disciple, you're becoming less and less dependent on the praise of others and more and more dependent and enjoying the smile of God who delights in you. So the disciple gets his sense of worth and approval and delight from the Lord and needs it less from the world. And in so doing is taking up the cross and losing his life in order to gain it. But the key to these other two is actually our relationship with people. 
uh, and this is that a disciple needs to live a new mercy. So let's have a look here at verses 51 uh, to 56. What's happening here is that uh, Jesus is headed to Jerusalem and he needs to go through Samaria and his disciples were racist. They didn't like the uh, Samaritans and they went through a Samaritan village and the people did not welcome Jesus. And the sons of thunder, James and John, said, Lord, let's call down fire on them. They wanted to use nuclear weapons on Samaria. They wanted to call down fire from God to judge them. Fire in the Bible is often associated with judgment. But Jesus rebukes them, doesn't he? And we might think, oh man, this is, this is mad. But actually, let's put ourselves in the disciples' shoes. There was a prophet who did call down fire a couple of times. Who, who was that prophet in the Bible? Elijah, Elijah, Elisha, Elisha, you're right. I said Elijah this morning. Elijah called down fire as well. Two of them did it, the prophets of Baal. Um, and, but Elijah had just, had just been on the Mount of Transfiguration. And um, the whole point of this encounter with Moses and Elijah that was, is in this chapter is that Jesus is greater than both of those two. Well, if, if Elijah or Elisha or both of them call down fire and Jesus is greater than them, well, surely when people reject him, he should call down fire. That's what they're thinking. And in fact, Jesus in Luke's gospel does say, I've come to bring fire on the earth. If you look at uh, chapter 12, verses 49 to 50. I'm checking my reference now. It is right. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to go, and what constraint I'm under until it is completed. The fire, as I've said, often refers to the judgment of God, and The point is the fire did not come down on the Samaritans and it didn't come down on the soldiers. When when soldiers pounded nails into Jesus' hand and feet, he, he called down grace, not judgment. When the soldiers came to arrest him, he actually healed one of them. Remember, he healed their ear. The one we follow does not call down fire. He showers grace. But when Jesus said, I have come to call down fire on the earth, he hasn't come to call it down on other people. He comes to be baptized in that fire himself. And this is the answer to all the riddles of of the Old Testament because all the fires of the Old Testament point forward to this fire of judgment. And the fire of judgment was experienced by Jesus on the cross and leading to the cross where he was rejected, where he was killed, where he absorbed the fire in our place. That's what we're about to remember as we take the bread and the wine. But unless you see that he took the fire for you, you're not going to change your priorities. You're not going to change your identity. 
you're not going to become a person of mercy. So you need to experience this love. You need to see him, the Lamb of God, taking the judgment of God on your behalf. It's not mental determination that's going to give you a new identity or going to give you a new mercy or going to give you these new priorities. You need to be melted by the sight of Jesus absorbing the punishment that you deserve. In conclusion, folks, discipleship isn't an option. Jesus said, if you want any relationship with me, you need to follow me. But discipleship is a journey. It's so clever how Luke has them on this journey for the next nine chapters. But to go on this journey, often you have to leave. And, and so many people encounter God in the Bible when they leave, when they leave home. Other things that you need to leave. Discipleship isn't the way to be saved. Jesus doesn't say to you, follow me and then I'll go to the cross for you. He says, I'm going to the cross for you, now follow me. But folks, the sign of genuine discipleship is you put him first, you have this new identity, and you live this new mercy. Your instinct is not to judge people, but to see them through the eyes of mercy. Jesus rebukes his disciples when they want to call down judgment. He says, look, my disciples are not terrorists. Don't call fire down. And so let's watch ourselves this week. Harshness, bigotry, stridency, sticking to our arguments, not seeing the other perspective shows that a lack of growth in discipleship. How tribal I was when I was a young Christian, loved joining this new tribe and condemning everybody else. Are you getting more gentle as you grow in discipleship, as you advance? Discipleship reconstructs our relationship with God, our relationship with self, our relationship with others, our relationship with creation. Are you up for this journey this evening? Let's pray. Lord, we confess that so often we don't put you first. In decisions that we make, we neglect to come to you. We neglect to bring everything to you. We go our own way. Lord, I pray that you help us to follow you. I pray that by your spirit, you would help us to find practices that enable us to show that we are prioritizing our relationship with you above everything else. I pray for folk here this evening struggling to do that. I pray for the power of your spirit to come upon us all, to help us to follow you, to take up our cross as we do that. In Jesus' name.